Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. We are going to uh, look at uh, Zechariah chapter 3. Uh, I had hoped to get through this series on uh, the foundation of the church in four weeks. Uh, That's not going to happen. We've extended uh, the last one on on living joyfully for two Sundays. And this uh, sermon will be a two-part sermon under our foundational aspects uh, of uh, of the church. And and we're going to talk about finding purpose. What is God's purpose uh, for you and for me. And so if you will, uh, in honor of the reading of the word of the Lord, let's stand together and we're going to read in uh, Zechariah. So Zechariah, if, if you don't have all, uh, you know, you don't not quite sure where that is, that's toward the uh, end of the Old Testament. <clears throat> and we're going to look at chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through Seven. Now, as we begin uh, reading Zechariah, you're going to be introduced to Joshua, who is uh, the high priest at this time. And uh, beautiful passages of scripture that have been read this morning. And uh, most of us are familiar with uh, the Joshua who the book is named after uh, earlier in the Old Testament who led the Israelites into the promised land. This is not that Joshua. This is a different person uh, from that particular uh, Joshua. So this Joshua is uh, not the successor to Moses, but this Joshua is uh, the high priest at the time of Zechariah's writing this prophetic word. And uh, we'll begin at uh, verse 1. Then he, the Lord, uh, showed me, Zechariah, Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. He spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. Again, he said to him, See, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. Then I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and if you will perform my service, then you will also govern my house and also have charge of my courts. And I will grant you free access among those who are standing here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the public reading of Scripture. We thank you for this word uh, that has been read to us this morning in our hearing. God, help us to be faithful hearers and doers of the word. We thank you for your grace and kindness this morning. Lead us by your mercy today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. 
Amen. Brother David Brown takes care of me. I really appreciate you, Brother David. Even this week, uh, someone who was in need that was in his taxi, he called me about. We had prayer. That's a blessing. Um, as an aside, uh, this week, uh, Toby Bouch and I had a conversation. It's on Facebook. Uh, if you hadn't had a chance to look at it, but upon uh, faith in in the marketplace. And what is so interesting is how many businesses are in this congregation of those of you who see it as God's calling to work out your faith uh, in the marketplace. It's a real blessing, and if, if you are in business, I would, I would hope you'd take a look at that, and uh, maybe it will help you. <clears throat> So, uh, again, four aspects of uh, Riverstone Church. If you uh, are new, if you've not gone through the Riverstone journey, we've been doing that. Uh, we started this week, 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. You can join in next week if uh, you'd like. And, uh, but there's four aspects that we will talk about that we believe are pillars of the church and the way in which you grow in discipleship before the Lord. We talked about, first and foremost, worshiping Jesus. What we're doing this morning, worshiping the Lord together, exalting Jesus in the congregation, all of us together in unity and in one accord, uh, worshiping the Lord together. That's our first and foremost posture as believers is to worship and focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, the last two weeks we talked about living joyfully, and in order for you and I to live joyfully, we must be free of the bondage of sin and in a small community of others that is holding us accountable for how we're living before the Lord. So being free from bondage, being in community helps us to have that uh, true joy. And today we're going to talk about, and next week talk about, uh, finding purpose that God has a plan for your life that is meaningful. And then in the final Sunday, we'll talk about serving others. There's many, many ways that we could get at these various uh, topics, and God speaks to us through His Word in the space and time in which you and I exist. There are many passages we could use to think about what it means to worship Jesus, what it means to live joyfully, to find purpose, what it means to serve others. But today, I believe that God is going to speak to us in finding purpose about this, uh, out of this specific passage in Zechariah chapter 3. It's the passage that God God wants to use to speak to us about our purpose in Him today, in the space and time in which you and I are existing this morning. <clears throat> so the context of this passage finds itself in uh, the rebellion of the Jews. You know that there was a time of judges, and then there was a time of kings, and there was always this cycle of rebellion and repentance with uh, the Jews, not much unlike ourselves sometimes, is that, you know, we get hot on fire for the Lord, and then times we may uh, fall away, or we may not be as close to the Lord as what we once were. 
And it came to a time and season around 605 BC that the Jews were attacked by the Babylonians. And around the time of 588 BC, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed along with the entire city of Jerusalem. So in fact, what had happened was nothing, nothing was familiar anymore. What had been familiar in Jerusalem, the temple which was the central focus, the walls which were surrounded, homes, places, what was familiar to people had been completely leveled and in essence renovated, destroyed. It was gone. What was familiar was gone. No familiarity left. There's many books of the Old Testament were written about this time period or during this time period, 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Haggai, and Zechariah all talk about the events or have prophecies about this specific time in Israel's history. And what you and I have to understand is the importance of uh, the temple. We don't necessarily carry the concept today of the importance of a structure or a place of worship. There are uh, some people who would dare to worship in uh, old insurance call centers. <laughs> yeah, you'll get that. <clears throat> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Uh, that the structure and place of worship in our day isn't revered as sacred as what the temple was. But the temple was a place, a piece of geography that was very important in Jewish worship because it represented the very presence of God. That the presence of God is on this piece of geography, which is why even today, the Temple Mount is the most disputed, fought over piece of geography in all of the world. It continues to our day, and it's because this is a place where the Jews feel that God's presence has met them. This is very important to them. And so when Solomon's temple was destroyed by the Babylonians, this was like a knife to the heart of the Jewish people. And so they were led away into captivity. And there was about 70 years of captivity. And around 539 BC, Babylon was defeated by Cyrus, who was the king of Persia. And Cyrus, the way in which he wanted to win favor of people and kind of keep the peace was allow them to have access to their land and access to their gods. And so he begins to let the Jewish people go back to their own city. And he issues a decree that the Jews could return home and the Jews could rebuild Jerusalem, including the temple. So there was a decree. And in 536, what happened was the foundation began to be laid for the temple. And what happened? Unlike Isaiah, you and Claire. Where is Isaiah? Oh, he left. Okay, Claire and Caroline, come with me. What happened is people got dirty with the laying of the foundation. People started working together. And they started having to get dirty. Help me, ladies. 
Can you help me with this block? And families actually would begin to work. There wasn't a lot of people. And the families would begin to lay the foundation together. Now, Jarrell Miller, do not come up here. <laughs> he won't like my straight line, my unstraight lines. Help me. Help me now. They began to build a foundation. Now, if you're going to build a foundation, what's the expectation? You're going you're gonna to do a work, aren't you? You're going to build a building. And so we're going to build a building together. Families helping. Other families would come about. And they would also help with the building of the foundation. And so they kept building. And we're going to keep building. Yeah, okay, you're helping me. Come on. I said this one here. Laying a foundation. That's much of what we've been doing as a church over these last several years. Laying a foundation. Keep building. Let's keep building. There you go. Let's get it together. We've got to work fast here. I only got a certain amount of time. Right. <laughs> Keep building. Got it. This is not child labor. <laughs> All right, just a few more to go. All right, let's keep building. We'll put them back here on, on this end. Let's set this one here like that. Let's get two more. Think about what it was like. Children who have probably not built a whole lot before, working with their families together to do something that was important for worship. <clears throat> important to them. And what the Bible says is that they laid this foundation. So remember, the temple was destroyed about 70 years earlier. Thank you. The temple, <laughs> the temple was destroyed about 70 years earlier. And so what you had was people who were young men or young women who saw the old temple, who saw Solomon's temple and all of its glory and all of its grandeur. They saw it before. And you had peop other people who had only heard the stories about it. They had only heard the stories about the grandeur of the previous temple and the glory of the previous temple. And what happened was the young people who were around the foundation of the temple when it started were so excited for what was happening and what was going on. And they were shouting and praising the Lord. And the old men who saw the old temple, who saw the glory of the old temple and the beauty of the old temple, they wept over what was happening because this temple was not going to be as glorious as a previous temple. In fact, the foundation as it was being laid showed that it would actually be smaller than the original temple. And the older men who saw the previous temple, they saw the foundation when it was, the foundation itself was finished. They wept over it 
while the younger people who had simply heard the stories rejoiced that God was doing something. Haggai 2 and 9 prophesies about this. And it's interesting what he says. He says, He says, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord. So this second temple, as the foundation were being laid, the people who were laying the foundation at this second temple did not realize what was happening. They didn't realize what they were doing. In fact, their physical eyes would not see what would happen down the road. When Haggai prophesied and he said, the latter glory of this temple is going to be greater than the former glory, to the average Jewish mindset, they're thinking, how can this even be? Solomon's temple was beautiful and it was glorious and it was covered in gold and the Ark of the Covenant was, we don't even have the Ark of the Covenant. How can the glory of this temple be greater than what was before? But what they didn't know was 500 years later, there were going to be an older man and an older woman near this temple complex, and they would see Messiah coming to the temple. The glory of the Lord returning back to the primary place of worship, laying the foundation again, anticipating and seeing God, knowing 500 years later, Jesus would be presented in the temple as a Messiah. As they were laying the foundation. There were opposing people who said, hey, Zerubbabel, who was the governor at this time, in essence, the king, and Joshua, the high priest, let us help you. But the undercurrent was they wanted to stop them from working. They ended up in writing letters to the rulers of Babylon and said, the Jews are seeking to rebel. They don't want to pay taxes anymore to you. They're trying to rebuild this temple. They're trying to rebuild this city. And all this city has ever been is a rebellious city. The king begins to look through the records and what he finds out is that indeed this is true. And so he issues a decree and says, stop. Quit building. You can't, you can't build it anymore. You can imagine what's going through the people's mind. God, why did you let this happen to us? God, why would you call us to start laying a foundation and now the people around us are against us? The political leaders are against us. Even some of our own brethren, the Jews, are against us rebuilding. God, what is the point of this? And so for 14 years, about, the foundation lays dormant. Nothing happening. No changes, nothing going on. People walking by and seeing 
just something, a dream of somebody's that never came to pass. <clears throat> Has that happened in your life? Is there something that you say God started and yet that dream or vision has gone dormant? You think there's no way it's going to happen anymore? Government is against me. People are against me. All that's left is the rubble and the weeds. And so we come to Zechariah, and Zechariah begins his story, his message, with a prophecy during this period of rebuilding. And it begins first with repentance in Zechariah chapter 1. One of the things in Zechariah chapter 1 that I think is really important to note is that God initiates the repentance. God says, return to me. Return to me. Do you want to know how to get back to where you were at one point in the Lord? Return to God. That's his call to you and to me this morning. Simply return to God. Return to him. And as you return to him, repent. Repent. Say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm sorry, God, for what I have done. I'm sorry for what I have done against your law, against your holiness, against your name, O oh Lord. And what the Word affirms to us in Zechariah and throughout the entirety of Scripture is that when God's people return to Him, He returns to them. Amen. A few other prophecies in Zechariah 1 and 2, and that brings us to chapter 3. With the foundation of the temple that had been laid, there were essentially three main players in this story. The governor, Zerubbabel, imagine being the, the governor or king at this point. And even the name sounds like rubble. A mess. Not going to happen. But he was of the line of David. Joshua, or some of your versions may say, Yeshua, the high priest. And we have Zechariah, the prophet. We have the king, the priest, and the prophet, the roles of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives and what we see in the New Testament, the prophet who speaks from God to the people, the priest, one who ministers from the people to God and the king, one who leads the people. And God has decreed that these three roles must be in order. And Zechariah's vision in chapter three points to something that is amiss in the priestly role. There's a role to be fulfilled there was a person who was called to fulfill that role. And when we see the vision in Zechariah chapter 3, what we find is that person was not prepared. There was an incomplete temple and an incomplete priest. An incomplete temple and an incomplete priest. It shouldn't be lost on you and I that in 1 Peter 2 and 9, that God has called us to be a kingdom of priests. God has called you and I to be a kingdom of priests unto him. 
What we see in Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 and verse 3, is we see the enemy of God's people there. It says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. That's the enemy's role. He's going to accuse you. Joshua, the high priest, is there. And what is the enemy's role? To point out all the flaws in Joshua. Joshua was standing before the Lord in garments that were not fit for a priest. Do you see this guy? Do you know what has been said in the scriptures? See, Satan knows the word of the Lord. Do you know what has been said in the scriptures prior to this of what a priest should wear? This priest is in dirty garments. This priest is unprepared. This priest can't possibly serve in this temple. This priest can't possibly do the role, can't possibly fulfill the job. You see, Satan only wants you and I to think that we are inadequate sinners who can do nothing of good for the Lord. He accuses you of your shortcomings. He accuses you of your doubt. He accuses you of your past sin. This is why the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. That is his role. The Bible also calls him a liar. He wants you to look at the half-completed work of God, the foundation that God has laid in your life, and let, it know, let you know that it's your fault that it's not done. You've not done your part. You can't get out of whatever habit or problem or challenge or whatever it is. It is your fault that it's not happening. Satan doesn't want you to fulfill your purpose in God's kingdom. He wants to keep you from fulfilling your purpose in God's kingdom. In Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 2, it says, The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? What you and I must hear in our ears this morning is whatever accusations the enemy is throwing against you, God rejects them wholeheartedly. God rejects the accusation of the enemy. God rejects what the enemy is pointing out. He does not accept it. He does not receive it. In fact, in this instance, there is a double rebuke against the enemy. Twice the Lord says, the Lord rebuke you. In fact, when the Lord speaks of Joshua. He says, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? In essence, is this not someone I have rescued for a purpose? Think about your life and your calling in Christ. You were called for a purpose. God has a plan. God has a role for you to fulfill. And it is a good role. It is a fulfilling role. It is something in which you will have joy and peace in Christ. But what does the enemy want to do? The enemy wants to pull you away. He wants you to not fulfill your role in Christ because he's happy for everybody to walk by and see a half-built foundation. A church that's just kind of wallowing around what's half done and not completed. Because then everybody points to what's not done and says, see, this is your God. See, this is your God. 
Or on the other side, they say, see, this is all you could do. You're not smart enough. You're not wise enough. You're not holy enough. This is it for you. That's what Satan wants you to receive. That's what Satan wants to put in your head. But what you and I must realize this morning is that God outright rejects it. He outright rejects it. God has created you for a purpose. He has created you for a calling. You're not here to simply come on Sunday morning and walk out and just do the same thing over and over again. God has called you for a purpose in this city to see people come to know him. God has called you for a purpose that through your business and through your workplace and through your schooling and to whatever God has put your hand to at this moment, God has called you for a purpose. And what the enemy wants to do is steal that purpose by his accusations over and over and over again. The enemy may be looking at you and speaking to you and accusing you, saying you don't have the right clothes, you don't have the right look, you don't have the right pedigree. But if God has chosen you, if you are in Christ, if you have proclaimed Jesus as Lord and Savior, you have a purpose in his kingdom. You have a purpose. We see Joshua who's standing there in the filthy garments. Get the picture in your mind. What what is going through Joshua's mind? He knows he's unprepared. He knows he's dirty. He knows he's not in the right garments. And the enemy is accusing him. And what he's saying is, yes, I am dirty. Yes, I'm unclean. No, I'm not in the right garments. No, I'm not in the garments that I'm supposed to have. And I'm standing before God Almighty who holds me in the palm of his hand. What is Joshua thinking in his mind? And from the Lord, do we see in the scripture or do we read in this particular passage that God is saying, Joshua, you messed up. Joshua, you didn't get it right. Joshua, you should have done this. Joshua, don't you remember back then when you had the opportunity to do this and you didn't? Joshua, 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 we don't hear any of that from God. We don't hear any of that from God. All we hear from the Lord is to stop the mouth of the accuser and to make things right for Joshua. Okay, Joshua, it is time that you are restored. Verses 4 and 5. And he spoke and he said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And he said, see, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. I have taken your iniquity away and I will clothe you with festal robes. Joshua could not do it himself. Hear and understand, you're not going to cleanse yourself. You're not going to cleanse yourself, but only Jesus can cleanse you of sin. Zechariah was looking on and Zechariah recognizes in verse 5. He says, let a clean turban be placed upon Joshua's head. Verse 5 says, then I said, this is speaking of Zechariah, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. The priestly turban bore uh, the 
the statement upon the turban that said holiness unto the Lord, holiness unto the Lord on the forehead or on the the head of the priest. There is a work of Christ that cleanses us from sin. But you and I must also understand that God has to work within us at times to change our thinking about who we are in Christ. There has to be a change of the mind. I asked ahead of time if I could uh, use Makai as an illustration, and his dad said, yes, that's okay. So this week, uh, we were privileged to participate in, this past week, in uh, the adoption of Makai into Terry and Janetta Bouch's family, which is just a moment of, I think, rejoicing for us as an entire congregation. Uh, Amen. Amen. I don't particularly know how Terry and Janetta may discipline their children when things get uh, awry or when they need to speak to your children. But I was thinking about Micaiah's. I was putting together the message and I thought maybe there's a time in Micaiah's life where Terry would say to him, Micaiah, you're a bouch. And bouches don't do that. That's not the way Bouches act. That's not the way Bouches treat someone else. You're a Bouch, Makai, because Makai has been adopted into a family and he's taken on the name of a family. He's legally declared as part of that family. And sometimes there might need to be a reminder, like there needs to be a reminder to you or me that we are part of the family of God. We have been adopted in. We have been cleansed by his blood. And there is a work for us to do. Those who the Lord has called, those who the Lord has equipped, those who uh, the Lord has chosen, the Lord also commissions them to do a work. So it's not right for us to simply set aside and say, well, this is, this is my role, and I just sit there and kick back and don't do anything about it. But Zechariah chapter 3, verses 6 and 7 says that the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways, and if you will perform my service, then you will also govern my house and also have charge of my courts, and I will grant you free access among those who are standing here. If Joshua continues in the way of the Lord, that there is a consistent work for him to do. Continue in the ways of the Lord, to govern the house of the Lord, to take charge of the courts of the Lord, to have access to the heavenly realms. And there is a place of Christian service, a place where you and I can get in Christ that only can be entered into by radical change and desperation of heart. And when one gets there, nothing else will ever satisfy. Again, one of my favorite books to go back and read is this book by Martin Lloyd-Jones, Joy Unspeakable. I've shared it with you before. If you don't have a copy, I hope you get one. If you can't afford a copy, we'll get you one uh, because it is a good book and it, it speaks to the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit from a brother who would not be uh, 
termed a charismatic or Pentecostal, but one who nonetheless believes in a work of the Holy Spirit after salvation. And I want to read to you a portion because he puts it better than I could. He says, This is the principle expressed in that gradation of ask and seek and knock. A half-hearted, spasmodic desire is never likely to be granted. And again, you will find in all the literature on this great matter, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that there is always this element almost of desperation that comes in before God really hears this prayer and grants our request. You noticed it came out in the cases of John Newton and George Bowen, historical uh, believers. They were brought to the point at which they really were almost complaining and wondering what is happening and were almost at the point of despair and of giving in. Then suddenly at that point, God granted their request and blessed them in such a manner that they could scarcely contain it. It is the principle, of course, that we find in the old story of Jacob and his wrestling that night. I will not let you go. These are the people who God blesses. God brings us to the point at which we feel we cannot live without this. He creates such a hunger and a thirst for it, such a desire for it, that you would just pray now and pray again. You would say, life is hardly worth living if I do not get this. I must, I will not let you go. That is the prayer. You will find it has generally been like that. Revival does not come the moment people begin to pray for it. Neither does just personal blessing. A revival is, as we have seen, this baptism of the Holy Spirit happening to a large number of people at the same time. God has always dealt with people in some such way as this, that they have been brought to the point at which they realize that without revival, everything is lost. Why do I use that passage at the end of this message speaking to us about our role in the kingdom, about finding purpose in Christ? Because there's some things that we have to labor over. I agree with the spiritual gifts test and some of the other things. Those are wonderful tools and wonderful opportunities and you ought to take advantage of it. But there's sometimes, some things and sometimes that you only get to the sense of what God is calling you to do when you are willing to really go after it and really labor for it. This is why we're a church that must pray together. I believe firmly. It's in my heart. I believe. And I want to say to you, I've spoken this a few, you know, anytime anybody kind of moves out of the church, who's on the staff, everybody begins to wonder, well, what are you doing? What's your plan? What's your purpose? And I'm going to tell you, as far as I can say right now, I'm happy. Someone last week offered me a grave plot up on Monticello Mountain. I told you that's where I wanted to be buried. They offered the plot to me. I'm willing to take it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <clears throat> 
because there's something inside that says God is stirring in this community. God is stirring in our area. And what I firmly believe, what I, what I understand, what I desire is for God's spirit to be poured out. And I know we've got to be in a community that's seeking after it, that's longing after it, that wants it even more than our own life, that longs to see the power of God as it's, we see it in the book of Acts with signs and wonders being fulfilled and confirming the word of God. That is what we long for. That is what I've heard many of you talk about, but it's not going to happen if we're not willing to put in the effort and everyone be in the game. We're blessed. We're blessed here. I'm not complaining. I'm not fussing. I'm not angry because I'm getting loud. I'm loud because I'm passionate. You are involved. You're engaged. You're part of the team. I see it, but God is calling us to labor in something even more difficult, and that is in the ministry of prayer. It's in the ministry of prayer. I'm asking God to teach me. Teach me, Lord. I'm not an expert in it. I don't understand it. But I want to get to that place. I'm going to hunger and thirst so much after God and His righteousness that no temptation, nothing can turn me aside away from the path of the Lord because I'm so focused on the temple that needs to be rebuilt in this community, the place of worship that needs to be rebuilt in Charlottesville. We can't be content to be within these walls. And we can't be content to simply be content. We can't be content to say, my life is going pretty good right now. I like the things I have. I'm well cared for. I've got some money in the bank. I'm okay. We have to be passionate about what God is calling us to do. And that is to see a change in this community. I believe it can happen. And it only takes a few to get on fire. It only takes a few that really say, I am not going to give up. When we think back to the beginning of this church, one of the things that I remember many of the people who were early on saying, I am hungry. And I'm hungry. I'm not content to walk by and see a half-built foundation. And I'm not going to be discouraged by a building that's not fully constructed yet. Because we're going to talk next week about the promise of the Lord, that the hands who have laid the foundation will be the hands that will put the capstone with shouts of grace to it, grace to it. We will rejoice, you and I, in our day with our eyeballs to look in our community and see people coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to see a transformation in our city, in the university, in the hospitals and other places. If we believe it, we pray for it, we long after it, we want to see it. There are some things that only come by prayer. And if it's one of us, it'll happen. But imagine if it's 200 of us who have the same hunger, the same desire, the same purpose, the same focus. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your grace today, and I thank you for your mercy. God, I pray that in these next few moments that we would commit ourselves. Lord, everyone in this room has a role. It's not a preacher's role. It is not a preacher's role. 
to be the one who just gonna yes, oh, he's the prayer guy. He's just gonna no, 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 no. We must be unified. We must be together. We must have one mind and one accord. What do they do in the upper room in the book of Acts? Gather together 120 people. They got 120 people in one mind and in one accord. One mind and one accord. And the Holy Spirit came. And it was the genesis of revival that changed the known world. You're here this morning. You have a purpose in that plan of God. <clears throat> I'm not preaching to you this morning. Preacher pipe dreams that just hope something will happen in the future. What I believe I'm speaking to you this morning is the word of the Lord and God's plan for our city, our community, the surrounding areas in central Virginia. Why do I think that? Because other brothers of other denominations whom I respect deeply are saying the same thing. God is stirring. God is moving. I'm hungry. Something's happening. Something is transforming. Something is changing. I want to be part of that something. I want to be part of laboring in prayer. I want to be part of seeing the Lord Jesus Christ move in our community. I want to be part of that. I believe God is stirring. I believe God is stirring in our day. And I believe God has a plan and a purpose for you and I to fulfill as we serve together every part of the body necessary every part of the body required some doing more outward things some doing more inward things but everything just as important laboring together moving together praying together seeking more together hungering together We're not content to just see the foundation. We want to see the completed structure of God's glory and God's grace moving on people's hearts. Transformation that could only happen by the grace of Jesus. But in that day, oh Lord, we long, we want to hear it. Oh God, we want to hear it. And when the last block is put together, that the shouts of the people proclaim the majesty and glory of God. I'd ask you this morning, if you are here, would you be willing to labor just a few moments here at the end of service? I know you may be here with needs this morning. Maybe you're, maybe you're Joshua standing in the dirty robes. The enemy's been accusing you. 
It's not Jesus accusing you. It's not Jesus pointing the finger. It's the enemy who is accusing you. And what you need is Jesus to rebuke him in your heart, in your mind, in your life. You need to understand that Jesus will rebuke the enemy as you turn to him. Joshua wasn't off by himself somewhere. He wasn't in another room. He wasn't away from the Lord, but he was standing in the presence of the Lord. And that's where you need to get. You want the enemy off your back, get in God's presence. I don't want to let the moment go by without offering prayer if that is you this morning. You don't, if you don't know the Lord, you're being accused by the enemy. Your mind is rolling with accusations. You need prayer. People will meet you here in the front. They will meet you. That's an act of faith to step out and to say, I need help. I need God's help with this. Whether you've done it before, you've done it a hundred times before, do it again. For the rest of us, I would ask that we find a place of intercessory prayer. That your heart and mind is focused on the power of God. One, to find your purpose. What is your role? What is God calling you to do in the midst of this community? Two, to see the transformation in this city. <clears throat> I don't know your political persuasion. Sometimes I don't know my political persuasion. <laughs> but we've been praying. We've been praying for our city. We've been praying for our state. We've been praying in our city. We've been praying for uh, reconciliation among the races. We've been praying that God would do something, that God would move. I thought it was important that we had a governor that was elected that on inauguration day stood side by side with his lieutenant governor who's of a different skin color and his Attorney General, who has a different skin color, holding hands, praying in the name of Jesus. Now again, I don't know your political persuasion, but anytime a politician will step out and pray in the name of Jesus, it means something. Something is being transformed. Something is changing. Something is moving. And when we see a white man and a black woman and a Hispanic man standing side by side, holding hands together, God's moving. God's changing. God's doing something. Prayers are being answered. Prayers are being heard in our city and in our government. And I'm not purporting to say a political statement to you today, but I am saying when someone proclaims the name of Jesus, it means something. Our prayers are being heard. God is doing something. Let's not stop. Let's intercede. Please, let's take a few moments this morning. Let's pray that God continues to work a stirring for His glory. Let's pray and intercede together this morning. Find a place of prayer. Please find a place of prayer today.